The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. We here at the Christian Atheist stand for truth above all. The historic Supreme Court Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade is read here without commentary. If we are to meaningfully engage one another on this issue, we must do so by first informing ourselves on the ruling itself. Part 2. The Decision as Drafted by Justice Alito Third and Final Installment The Dobbs Decision, Overturning Roe v. Wade We continue with the majority opinion drafted by Justice Alito. We pick up the discussion at the middle of page 62. Letter D, the fourth reason cited for overturning Roe v. Wade and Casey. D. Effect on other areas of law. Roe and Casey have led to the distortion of many important but unrelated legal doctrines, and that effect provides further support for overruling those decisions. See Ramos, 590 U.S., Members of this court have repeatedly lamented that, quote, no legal rule or doctrine is safe from ad hoc nullification by this court when an occasion for its application arises in a case involving state regulation of abortion. Thornburg, 476 U.S. at 814. O'Connor, J., dissenting, etc. The court's abortion cases have diluted the strict standing for facial constitutional challenges. They have ignored the court's third-party standing doctrine. They have disregarded standard race judicata principles. They have flouted the ordinary rules of the severability of unconstitutional provisions, as well as the rule that statutes should be read where possible to avoid unconstitutionality. And they have distorted First Amendment doctrines. When vindicating a doctrinal innovation requires courts to engineer exceptions to long-standing background rules, the doctrine, quote, has failed to deliver the principled and intelligible development of the law that stare decisis purports to secure. E. Reliance Interests We last consider whether overruling Roe and Casey will upend substantial reliance interests. 1. Traditional reliance interests arise, quote, where advanced planning of great precision is most obviously a necessity. KC 505, U.S. at 856, Joint Opinion. See also Payne, 501 U.S. at 828. In Casey, the controlling opinion conceded that those traditional reliance interests were not implicated because getting an abortion is generally, quote, unplanned activity and, quote, reproductive planning could take virtually immediate account of any sudden restoration of state authority to ban abortions. 505 U.S. at 856. For these reasons, we agree with the Casey plurality that conventional, concrete reliance interests are not present here. 2. Unable to find reliance in the conventional sense, the controlling opinion in Casey perceived a more intangible form of reliance. It wrote that, quote, people had organized intimate relationships 
and made choices that defined their views of themselves and their places in society, in reliance on the availability of abortion in the event that contraception should fail, and that, quote, the ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. But this court is ill-equipped to assess, quote, generalized assertions about the national psyche. Casey's notion of reliance thus finds little support in our cases, which instead emphasize very concrete reliance interests, like those that develop in, quote, cases involving property and contract rights. Payne 501, U.S. at 828. When a concrete reliance interest is asserted, courts are equipped to evaluate the claim, but assessing the novel and intangible form of reliance endorsed by the Casey plurality is another matter. That form of reliance depends on an empirical question that is hard for anyone, and in particular for a court, to assess. Namely, the effect of the abortion right on society, and in particular on the lives of women. The contending sides in this case make impassioned, and conflicting arguments about the effects of the abortion right on the lives of women. Compare Brief for Petitioners 34 through 36, Brief for Women Scholars and Others as Amici Curie 13 through 20, 29 through 41, with Brief for Respondents 36 through 41, Brief for National Women's Law Center and Others as Amici Curie 15 through 32. The contending sides also make conflicting arguments about the status of the fetus. This court has neither the authority nor the expertise to adjudicate those disputes. And the Casey plurality's speculations and weighing of the relative importance of the fetus and mother represent a departure from the, quote, original constitutional proposition that, quote, Courts do not substitute their social and economic beliefs for the judgment of legislative bodies. Ferguson v. Scrupa, 372 U.S. 726, 729-730-1963. Our decision returns the issue of abortion to those legislative bodies, and it allows women on both sides of the abortion issue to seek to affect the legislative process by influencing public opinion, lobbying legislators, voting, and running for office. Women are not without electoral or political power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast ballots is consistently higher than the percentage of men who do so. In the last election, in November 2020, women, who make up around 51.5% of the population of Mississippi, constituted 55.5% of the voters who cast ballots. 3. Unable to show concrete reliance on Roe and Casey themselves, the Solicitor General suggests that overruling those decisions would, quote, threaten the court's precedence holding that the Due Process Clause protects other rights. Brief for United States 26, citing Obergefell, 576 U.S. 644, Lawrence, 539 U.S. 558, Griswold, 381 U.S. 479. That is not correct for reasons we have already discussed. 
as even the Casey plurality recognized, quote, abortion is a unique act because it terminates, quote, life or potential life, 505 U.S. at 852. See also Roe, 410 U.S. at 159. Abortion is, quote, inherently different from marital intimacy, marriage, or procreation. And to ensure that our decision is not misunderstood or mischaracterized, we emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right. Nothing in this opinion should be considered to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. 4. Having shown that traditional stare decisis factors do not weigh in favor of retaining Roe or Casey, we must address one final argument that featured prominently in the Casey plurality opinion. The argument was cast in different terms, but stated simply, it was essentially as follows. The American people's belief in the rule of law would be shaken if they lost respect for this court as an institution that decides important cases based on principle, not, quote, social and political pressures. 505 U.S. at 865. There is a special danger that the public will perceive a decision as having been made for unprincipled reasons when the court overrules a controversial, quote, watershed decision, such as Roe, 505 U.S. at 866 to 867. A decision overruling Roe would be perceived as having been made, quote, under fire, and as a, quote, surrender to political pressure, 505 U.S. at 867. And therefore, the preservation of public approval of the court weighs heavily in favor of retaining Roe, C505 U.S. at 869. This analysis starts out on the right foot, but ultimately veers off course. The Casey plurality was certainly right, that it is important for the public to perceive that our decisions are based on principle, and we should make every effort to achieve that objective by issuing opinions that carefully show how a proper understanding of the law leads to the results we reach. But we cannot exceed the scope of our authority under the Constitution, and we cannot allow our decisions to be affected by any extraneous influences such as concern about the public's reaction to our work. Compare Texas v. Johnson, 491 U.S. 397, 1989. Brown, 347 U.S. 483. That is true, both when we initially decide a constitutional issue and when we consider whether to overrule a prior decision. As Chief Justice Rehnquist explained, quote, the judicial branch derives its legitimacy, not from following public opinion, but from deciding by its best lights whether legislative enactments of the popular branches of government comport with the Constitution. The doctrine of stare decisis is an adjunct to this duty, and should be no more subject to the vagaries of public opinion than is the basic judicial task. Casey, 505 U.S., at 963. 
opinion concurring in judgment in part and dissenting in part. In suggesting otherwise, the Casey plurality went beyond this court's role in our constitutional system. The Casey plurality, quote, called the contending sides of a national controversy to end their national division, end quote, and claimed the authority to impose a permanent settlement of the issue of a constitutional abortion right simply by saying that the matter was closed. That unprecedented claim exceeded the power vested in us by the Constitution. As Alexander Hamilton famously put it, the Constitution gives the judiciary, quote, neither force nor will, end quote. The Federalist, number 78, page 523, J. Cook edition, 1961. Our sole authority to exercise judgment, which is to say, the authority to judge what the law means and how it should apply to the case at hand, IBID. The court has no authority to decree that an erroneous precedent is permanently exempt from evaluation under traditional stare decisis principles. A precedent of this court is subject to the usual principles of stare decisis, under which adherence to precedent is the norm, but not an inexorable command. If the rule were otherwise, erroneous decisions like Plessy and Lochner would still be the law. That is not how stare decisis operates. The Casey plurality also misjudged the practical limits of the court's influence. Roe certainly did not succeed in ending division on the issue of abortion. On the contrary, Roe inflamed a national issue that has remained bitterly divisive for the past half century. Casey, 505 U.S. at 995, opinion of Justice Scalia. See also R. Ginsburg, speaking in a judicial voice, 67, NYU, 1992. Roe may have, quote, halted a political process, quote, prolonged divisiveness, and, quote, deferred stable settlement of the issue. And for the past 30 years, Casey has done the same. Neither decision has ended debate over the issue of a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Indeed, in this case, 26 states expressly ask us to overrule Roe and Casey and to return the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. This court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling the people to move on. Whatever influence the court may have on public attitudes must stem from the strength of our opinions, not an attempt to exercise, quote, raw judicial power. Roe, 410 U.S. at 222. Justice White dissenting. We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe and Casey. And even if we could foresee what will happen, we would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply long-standing principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. We, therefore, hold 
that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. 5. A. 1. The dissent argues that we have, quote, abandoned stare decisis, post at 30. But we have done no such thing. And it is the dissent's understanding of stare decisis that breaks with tradition. The dissent's foundational contention is that the court should never, or perhaps almost never, overrule an egregiously wrong constitutional precedent unless the court can, quote, point to major legal or factual changes undermining the decision's original basis, post at 37. To support this contention, the dissent claims that Brown v. Board of Education, 347 U.S. 483, and other landmark cases overruling prior precedents, quote, responded to changed law and changed facts and attitudes that had taken hold throughout society, end quote. Post at 43. The unmistakable implication of this argument is that only the passage of time and new developments justified those decisions. Recognition that the cases they overruled were egregiously wrong on the day they were handed down was not enough. The court has never adopted this strange new version of stare decisis, and with good reason. Does the dissent really maintain that overruling Plessy was not justified until the country had experienced more than a half century of state-sanctioned segregation and generations of black school children had suffered all its effects post at 44 to 45? Here is another example. On the dissent's view, it must have been wrong for West Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett 319 U.S. 624, to overrule Minersville School District versus Gobitis, 310 U.S. 586, a bare three years after it was handed down. In both cases, children who were Jehovah's Witnesses refused on religious grounds to salute the flag or recite the Pledge of Allegiance. The Barnett Court did not claim that its re-examination of the issue was prompted by any intervening legal or factual developments. So if the court had followed the dissent's new version of stare decisis, it would have been compelled to adhere to Gobitis and countenance continued First Amendment violations for some unspecified period. Precedents should be respected. But sometimes the court errs, and occasionally the court issues an important decision that is egregiously wrong. When that happens, stare decisis is not a straitjacket. And indeed, the dissent eventually admits that a decision could, quote, be overruled just because it is terribly wrong, end quote, though the dissent does not explain when that would be so. Post at 45. 2. Even if the dissent were correct in arguing that an egregiously wrong decision should almost never be overruled unless its mistake is later highlighted by, quote, major legal or factual changes, end quote, 
re-examination of Roe and Casey would be amply justified. We have already mentioned a number of post-Casey developments. But the most profound change may be the failure of the Casey plurality's call for, quote, the contending sides in the controversy about abortion to, quote, end their national division, 505 U.S. at 867. That has not happened, and there is no reason to think that another decision sticking with Roe would achieve what Casey could not. The dissent, however, is undeterred. It contends that the, quote, very controversy surrounding Roe and Casey, end quote, is an important stare decisis consideration that requires upholding those precedents. See Post at 55 to 57. The dissent characterizes Casey as a, quote, precedent about precedent, end quote, that is permanently shielded from further evaluation under traditional stare decisis principles. See Post at 57. But as we have explained, Casey broke new ground when it treated the national controversy provoked by Roe as a ground for refusing to reconsider that decision, and no subsequent case has relied on that factor. Our decision today simply applies long-standing stare decisis factors instead of applying a version of the doctrine that seems to apply only in abortion cases. 3. Finally, the dissent suggests that our decision calls into question Griswold, Eisenstadt, Lawrence, and Obergefell, post at 4 to 5, 26 to 27, note 8. But we have stated unequivocally that, quote, nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. We have also explained why that is so. Rights regarding contraception and same-sex relationships are inherently different from the right to abortion because the latter, as we have stressed, uniquely involves what Roe and Casey termed potential life. Roe 410 U.S. at 150, Casey 505 U.S. at 852. Therefore, a right to abortion cannot be justified by a purported analogy to the rights recognized in those other cases or by, quote, appeals to a broader right to autonomy. It is hard to see how we could be clearer. Moreover, even putting aside that these cases are distinguishable, there is a further point that the dissent ignores. Each precedent is subject to its own stare decisis analysis, and the factors that our doctrine instructs us to consider, like reliance and workability, are different for these cases than for our abortion jurisprudence. B. 1. We now turn to the concurrence in the judgment, which reproves us for deciding whether Roe and Casey should be retained or overruled. That opinion, which for convenience we will call simply the concurrence, recommends a, quote, more measured course, which it defends based on what it claims is, quote, a straightforward stare decisis analysis, post at one, opinion of Roberts, Chief Justice. The concurrence would, quote, leave for another day whether to reject any right to an abortion at all, post at seven, and would hold only that if the Constitution protects any such right, 
the right ends once women have had, quote, a reasonable opportunity to obtain an abortion, post at one. The concurrence does not specify what period of time is sufficient to provide such an opportunity, but it would hold that 15 weeks, the period allowed under Mississippi's law, is enough. At least, quote, absent rare circumstances, post at 2, 10. There are serious problems with this approach, and it is revealing that nothing like it was recommended by either party. As we have recounted, both parties and the Solicitor General have urged us either to reaffirm or overrule Roe and Casey. And when the specific approach advanced by the concurrence was broached at oral argument, both respondents and the Solicitor General emphatically rejected it. Respondents' counsel termed it, quote, completely unworkable and, quote, less principled and less workable than viability. The Solicitor General argued that abandoning the viability line would leave courts and others with, quote, no continued guidance. What is more, the concurrence has not identified any of the more than 130 amicus briefs filed in this case that advocated its approach. The concurrence would do exactly what it criticizes Roe for doing, pulling out of thin air a test that, quote, no party or amicus asked the court to adopt, post at three. Two, the concurrence's most fundamental defect is its failure to offer any principled basis for its approach. The concurrence would, quote, discard the rule from Roe and Casey that a woman's right to terminate her pregnancy extends up to the point that the fetus is regarded as viable outside the womb. Post at two. But this rule was a critical component of the holdings in Roe and Casey, and stare decisis is, quote, a doctrine of preservation, not transformation, end quote. Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, 585 U.S., 310, 384. 2010, Roberts Chief Justice concurring. Therefore, a new rule that discards the viability rule cannot be defended on stare decisis grounds. The concurrence concedes that its approach would, quote, not be available if, quote, the rationale of Roe and Casey were inextricably entangled with and dependent upon the viability standard, post at seven. But the concurrence asserts that the viability line is separable from the constitutional right they recognized and can therefore be, quote, discarded without disturbing any past precedent. Post at 7 to 8. That is simply incorrect. Roe's trimester rule was expressly tied to viability. C410 U.S. at 163 to 164. And viability played a critical role in later abortion decisions. For example... In Planned Parenthood of Central Missouri v. Danforth, 428 U.S. 52, the court reiterated Roe's rule that a, quote, state may regulate an abortion to protect the life of the fetus and even may proscribe abortion at the stage subsequent to viability, 428 U.S. at 61. The court then rejected a challenge to Missouri's definition of viability, holding that the state's definition was consistent with Roe's. 428 U.S. at 63 to 64. If viability was not an essential part of the rule adopted in Roe, 
the court would have had no need to make that comparison. The holding in Kaladi v. Franklin, 439 U.S. 379, is even more instructive. In that case, the court noted that prior cases had, quote, stressed viability, and reiterated that, quote, viability is the critical point under Roe, 439 U.S. at 388 to 389. It then struck down Pennsylvania's definition of viability, and it is hard to see how the court could have done that if Roe's discussion of viability was not part of its holding. When the court reconsidered Roe in Casey, it left no doubt about the importance of the viability rule. It described the rule as Roe's, quote, central holding, 505 U.S. at 860, and repeatedly stated that the right it reaffirmed was, quote, the right of the woman to choose to have an abortion before viability, see identical at 871, quote, the woman's right to terminate her pregnancy before viability is the most central principle of Roe versus Wade. It is a rule of law and a component of liberty we cannot renounce. Same at 872. A, quote, woman has a right to choose to terminate or continue her pregnancy before viability, end quote. Same at 879. Quote, a state may not prohibit any woman from making the ultimate decision to terminate her pregnancy before viability, end quote. Our subsequent cases have continued to recognize the centrality of the viability rule. See Whole Women's Health, 579 U.S. at 589-90. Quote, a provision of law is constitutionally invalid if the purpose or effect of the provision is to place a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus attains viability. Same at 627. Quote, we now use viability as the relevant point at which a state may begin limiting women's access to abortion for reasons unrelated to maternal health. Not only is the new rule proposed by the concurrence inconsistent with Casey's unambiguous quote, language, post at 8. It is also contrary to the judgment in that case and later abortion cases. In Casey, the court held that Pennsylvania's spousal notification provision was facially unconstitutional, not just that it was unconstitutional as applied to abortions sought prior to the time when a woman has had a reasonable opportunity to choose. C505 U.S. at 887 to 898. The same is true of Whole Women's Health, which held that certain rules that required physicians performing abortions to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital were facially unconstitutional because they placed, quote, a substantial obstacle in the path of women seeking a pre-viability abortion, 579 U.S. at 591. For all these reasons, stare decisis cannot justify the new, quote, reasonable opportunity rule propounded by the concurrence. If that rule is to become the law of the land, it must stand on its own. But the concurrence makes no attempt to show that this rule represents a correct interpretation of the Constitution. The concurrence does not claim that the right to a reasonable opportunity to obtain an abortion is, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition, end quote, and, quote, implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. Glucksburg, 
521 U.S. at 720 to 721. Nor does it propound any other theory that could show that the Constitution supports its new rule. And if the Constitution protects a woman's right to obtain an abortion, the opinion does not explain why that right should end after the point at which all, quote, reasonable women will have decided whether to seek an abortion. While the concurrence is moved by a desire for judicial minimalism, quote, we cannot embrace a narrow ground of decision simply because it is narrow. It must also be right. For the reasons that we have explained, the concurrence's approach is not. 3. The concurrence would, quote, leave for another day whether to reject any right to an abortion at all, post at 7. But, quote, another day would not be long in coming. Some states have set deadlines for obtaining an abortion that are shorter than Mississippi's. See, for example, Memphis Center for Reproductive Health versus Slattery, considering law with bans, quote, at cascading intervals of two to three weeks, end quote, beginning at six weeks. If we held only that Mississippi's 15-week rule is constitutional, we would soon be called upon to pass on the constitutionality of a panoply of laws with shorter deadlines or no deadline at all. The, quote, measured course charted by the concurrence would be fraught with turmoil until the court answered the question that the concurrence seeks to defer. Even if the court ultimately adopted the new rule suggested by the concurrence, we would be faced with the difficult problem of spelling out what it means. For example, if the period required to give women a, quote, reasonable opportunity to obtain an abortion were pegged, as the concurrence seems to suggest, at the point when a certain percentage of women make that choice, see post at 1 to 2, 9 to 10, we would have to identify the relevant percentage. It would also be necessary to explain what the concurrence means when it refers to, quote, rare circumstances that might justify an exception, post at 10. And if this new right aims to give women a reasonable opportunity to get an abortion, it would be necessary to decide whether factors other than promptness in deciding might have a bearing on whether such an opportunity was available. In sum, the concurrence's quest for a middle way would only put off the day when we would be forced to confront the question we now decide. The turmoil wrought by Roe and Casey would be prolonged. It is far better for this court and the country to face up to the real issue without further delay. 6. We must now decide what standard will govern if state abortion regulations undergo constitutional challenge, and whether the law before us satisfies the appropriate standard. A. Under our precedence, rational basis review is the appropriate standard for such challenges. As we have explained, Procuring an abortion is not a fundamental constitutional right because such a right has no basis in the Constitution's text or in our nation's history. See above at 8 to 39. It follows that the states may regulate abortion for legitimate reasons. And when such regulations are challenged under the Constitution, courts cannot, quote, substitute their social and economic beliefs for the judgment of legislative bodies. Ferguson, 372, at 729 to 730. See also Dandridge versus Williams, 397 U.S. 471, etc. 
that respect for a legislature's judgment applies even when the laws at issue concern matters of great social significance and moral substance. See, for example, Board of Trustees of University of Alabama v. Garrett, 531 U.S., 356, 365 to 368, 2001, Treatment of the Disabled. Glucksburg, 521 U.S. at 728, Assisted Suicide. San Antonio Independent School District versus Rodriguez, 411 U.S., 1, 32 to 35, 55, 1973, Financing Public Education. A law regulating abortion, like other health and welfare laws, is entitled to, quote, a strong presumption of validity. Heller v. Doe, 509 U.S., 312, 319, 1993. It must be sustained if there is a rational basis on which the legislature could have thought that it would serve legitimate state interests. These legitimate interests include respect for and preservation of prenatal life at all stages of development. Gonzales, 550 U.S., at 157 to 158. The protection of maternal health and safety. The elimination of particularly gruesome or barbaric medical procedures. The preservation of the integrity of the medical profession. The mitigation of fetal pain. And the prevention of discrimination on the basis of race, sex, or disability. See the same at 156 to 157. Row 410 U.S. at 150. Compare Glucksburg, 521 U.S. at 728 to 731, identifying similar interests. B. These legitimate interests justify Mississippi's Gestational Age Act. Except, quote, in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality, end quote, the statute prohibits abortion, quote, if the probable gestational age of the unborn human being has been determined to be greater than 15 weeks, end quote. The Mississippi legislature's findings recount the stages of, quote, human prenatal development and assert the state's interest in, quote, protecting the life of the unborn. The legislature also found that abortions performed after 15 weeks typically use the dilation and evacuation procedure, and the legislature found the use of this procedure, quote, for non-therapeutic or elective reasons to be a barbaric practice, dangerous for the maternal patient and demeaning to the medical profession. These legitimate interests provide a rational basis for the Gestational Age Act, and it follows that respondents' constitutional challenge must fail. 7. We end this opinion where we began. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. The judgment of the Fifth Circuit is reversed, and the case is remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. 
I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.